I'm Jonathan Goldstein, host of Wiretap. Each week you're invited to listen in on my telephone conversations, whether funny, sad, wistful, or even slightly strange. You never know just what you might hear on Wiretap. Uh, I mean, I knew you had a show. I just, I just didn't think that people actually listened to it. Howard, That's you... the breath of your genius, Jonathan. It's not just that you're funny, but you can be cripplingly, poignantly depressing. The Wiretap Archives, available on CBC Listen, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. In southern Ontario, there's this little town called Homer. Our story today isn't about Homer, but I want to start here. The first time I saw this town, I couldn't believe what I was looking at. There's a gas station, a restaurant, a few people, though not very many. But what's so striking is that it's under a highway, a skyway, to be more precise, this long shadow arcing over the town. To understand how this happened and why I'm telling you about it, there are two things you need to know about Homer. First, the town is along the main route from Buffalo in the U.S. to Toronto. In the 60s and 70s, thousands, thousands of cars went through the center of Homer every day. Second, Homer is on the banks of the Welland Canal. This canal cuts south from Lake Ontario to Lake Erie, helping ships bypass Niagara Falls. It's a major shipping route. And being at these crossroads of the highway and the canal provided a unique opportunity. Because where there is a canal, there needs to be a bridge. And Homer, Homer had the bridge. And not just any bridge a drawbridge. This meant that any time a ship came down the canal, past the little town of Homer, the bridge would go up and the cars would be backed up, bumper to bumper, waiting for it to go back down, which could take ages. So instead of sitting in their cars, people would pull off and go to the gas station, the restaurant, wait it out, creating essentially this little captive economy, which was great for the town of Homer. But it didn't last. Over the years, as the cities in the surrounding area grew, it became apparent that this wasn't working. You can't have commuters stuck waiting for a drawbridge on this major international route. A highway needed to be built. There needed to be a faster way to get through Homer. Which brought up the question, should they build the highway around the town? Should they go through it? They did neither. They went over it. The Garden City Skyway goes right over the top of the town, with no off-ramp. When you look at Homer now, it is a strange sight. This concrete rainbow bypassing the restaurant and the gas station and the people and the past. I'm A.C. Rowe. This is The Doc Project. I haven't been able to stop thinking about Homer since I first saw it. The town and the skyway, they strike me as this living metaphor. It is a physical manifestation of progress and the people and places left behind. Today's story, it's not actually set in Homer, but about two hours to the west, just outside Tilsonburg, Ontario. Near Tilsonburg, there's this family, the Swins. They run a garage. And the garage... 
It reminds me of Homer, staring progress in the face and doing everything it can to survive. Reporter Lisa Shing will take it from here. My name is Doug Swen. I started the garage in 1970. The sun isn't even up yet, but my uncle Doug is opening up Swin service. It's something he's been doing for 50 years. A habit started when his wife Marg was alive. When she died six years ago, it somehow seemed even more important to keep it up. I still go over in the morning. I'm still there at six o'clock. Mark's still sleeping. Might as well not be down there waking her up, so I go over to Grant's. Have a coffee, change the calendar, and listen to the news. Randy Nunn, how are you? I'm good, Mr. Swin. Not happy with the snow. Is it snowing now? No. Doug's longtime friend Randy arrives really soon after. He's been coming for more than a decade. What's new? Did you get your kittens fed? Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. We shoot the breeze, what's went on the day before. Randy sits at the main desk in the office. Doug has his own right beside it. There's a bench, a stool, and an office chair for other visitors. The two have a coffee and check corn prices. Was it 516? 514 yesterday, wasn't it? Was it 14? I can't remember exactly. Holy smokes, that's quite a bit in one day. Lately, they've started recording the time of sunset and sunrise to see how much light we're gaining every day. Okay, you ready? 731. And 542. Okay, got it. What was it yesterday? Yesterday was 733 and 540. That's like four minutes. That seems like awful. Once that's all done, another one of the old boys shows up on his way to work. How'd Jeff pace? Good. How many deer you see this morning? Nothing yet. So you were saying about the points. You got to them. Yes. Well, neither said. I don't think the points is the it's a condenser. I think. You think it's a condenser? But I'm going to. Should be no problem getting one out. That's the next thing. By 8 a.m., when Swin's service officially opens, Randy drives home. Tomorrow, they'll do it all over again. It's just a habit. It's a habit. I've always got up early and know you're sitting over at the house. Kind of a nice habit to keep up, huh? Yeah, yeah. I want to keep that up as long as I can. How come? Well, it beats the alternative. Sleeping in? <laughs> well, not sleeping in. Sleeping forever. <laughs> Later that morning, Bob, who's been working here for more than 40 years, hunkers down in Bay 4, putting new tires on a white cargo van. Two of the five bays have cars in them. Customers trickle in. And Doug, he knows everyone by name. Roy, how are you? I haven't seen you for ages. I've been around. The garage is in rural Ontario, about two hours west of Toronto, where the suburbs taper off in rectangle after rectangle of farmland. 
A lot of it is now corn, soybeans, and ginseng, but it used to be tobacco. The nearest town is Tilsonburg. It's a place Stomp and Tom Connors put on the map. He said you want to work in the tobacco fields of Tilsonburg. 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 My back still aches when I hear that word. He said I'll only give you seven bucks a day. That song came out decades ago during tobacco's heyday. It's around the same time Doug opened the garage. He serviced the tractors and trucks of the farmers in the area. My uncle Doug is 80, but I haven't known him all that long. He's a new relative I gained when I met my husband seven years ago. My in-laws are from a world completely outside my own experience. I came to Canada from China 30 years ago and have always lived in cities like Toronto. But life in the country and how my in-laws have made their mark there fascinates me. And my Uncle Doug stands out. This garage has been his life for 50 years. He has a stoicism that's seen him through some hard times and change over the years. But that change is getting harder to keep up with. Let's go back a little bit, Uncle Doug. How did you become a mechanic? Grade 10. And I uh, was home on the farm, help working with my dad in tobacco, which I did not like. So my uncle from Toronto got me a job in Toronto as apprentice mechanic. He didn't want to get into the family business of growing tobacco because the work is backbreaking. So when the opportunity to apprentice at an auto shop in Toronto presented itself, Doug took it anything to get away from the farm. You were 16? 16 or 16, I think. Close to 17, maybe. After dropping out of high school, Doug moved to Toronto in the mid-50s. He went to work at the Addison Cadillac dealership and garage on Bay Street. I lived in Scarborough. I got on a bus. I forget the streets now. Then got on a streetcar about an hour getting to work. Lots of people worked there, yeah. I think there was 40-some mechanics. Big grudge. Busy, busy. It was different. Not like the farm life, that's for sure. Just so many people around you all the time, you know what I mean? You seem to me, it's worse now, but shoulder to shoulder with people all the time and out in the farm, you... Well, I can't say that. Describe to me what it was like your first day walking into that garage in Toronto? Well, I was very nervous, of course, but they are very good at showing me around, and this works this way, this works this way, and I got into it. And we used to, like car jockey, that would take in customers home. I didn't know the city, and uh, I had to go about three or four blocks with this one customer, and I think I was two hours getting back to the, I got lost. I was two hours getting back to the shop. It took me a while to get used to that. Doug did get used to it and moved on from car jockeying to full-fledged mechanic work. He honed his skills at several garages in the few years he lived in the city. Meanwhile, he got married to his high school sweetheart, my Aunt Mark. She was working in Toronto, too, as a school teacher. 
But because both their families were still in the Tilsonburg area, Doug would drive the two of them back home on the weekends. But eventually, they decided they'd rather be back home in the country full-time. Why did you decide to move back home? Mark was expecting, and we talked it over, and we didn't want to raise a family in Toronto. And our family's all back here. We wanted to be closer to our family, so. Do you remember the moment that you guys made the decision? Where were you? Well, we were in the apartment. It was just a one-bedroom apartment. I think the rent was $75 a month, three or four floors up. That's where we decided there. Marg finished the year up in school, I think, and then we moved back here. In the next few years, my aunt and uncle bought a farmhouse near Tilsonburg and had two kids, Mike and Pat. Doug stayed true to his word and didn't go back to farming. He got a job at a garage learning everything he could about keeping cars running and running a business. When did you know you wanted to start your own garage? I enjoyed the mechanical work and I knew that I could make a go of it up here. Everybody said, what are you doing building out in the sticks? But uh, I built anyways and kept busy and made a living. Doug didn't mind getting his hands dirty, and he liked how hands-on the work was. He's the kind of guy who enjoys figuring out a problem and solving it. Not your spark plug. Distributor with a set of points in there and a condenser. These were the three first bays right here. These three. These three. We're walking through what was first known as Doug Swin's Service, open for business in 1970. Doug built it just down the road from where he grew up. This used to be a pit where I did front-end work. Maybe you knew this, but I was shocked to learn in the early days a pit would be dug into the ground, the car would be driven over the top, and the mechanic would crawl underneath to do the work. Pits are dangerous. They get gas fumes in them sometimes. They're damp, always got water in them from the winter time. So I filled it in and we bought this set up here. So the hoist replaced the pit, right? So it lifted the cars up instead of you having to go down. Down in, yes. What was that feeling walking in here for the first time? First thing's on your mind, can I make a living at this? You said it was kind of scary, right? Well, yeah, there wasn't... uh, People lined up at my door at first there, and, and they put in a lot of hours. It was started, didn't open at 8, but I was there at 6 probably, and uh, opened at 9, 10 o'clock at night. Those long hours eventually paid off. Customers started rolling in more often, especially those tobacco farmers whose tractors needed work done. Those customers became friends, then family. Less than a decade later, business was so good, Doug hired two mechanics and added two more bays. Even though a lot of the machinery is different, Doug says the chairs and the clock have been here since the beginning. AC here. Coming up, Swin Service gets a new Swin at the steering wheel. 
I'm Jonathan Goldstein, host of Wiretab. Each week you're invited to listen in on my telephone conversations, whether funny, sad, wistful, or even slightly strange. You never know just what you might hear on Wiretab. Uh, I mean, I knew you had another show. I just, I just didn't think that people actually listened to it. Howard, you... That's the breath of your genius, Jonathan. It's not just that you're funny, but you can be cripplingly, poignantly depressing. The Wiretap Archives, available on CBC Listen, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, Mike. Hi. My cousin Mike is Doug's oldest son. He's in his 50s now. My name is Mike Swin. He was seven when his dad started the shop, and like many family businesses, Mike was already helping his dad out by the time he was a teenager. What do you remember about working at the garage? Sweeping the floors and uh, carrying out garbage and, you know, grunt stuff. Any specific memories of your dad working there? When I was younger, before I started, he put in a lot of hours. Supper was... Back then it was it was 5.30, you know, and uh, he's, the phone would ring between the shop and the house, and yeah, I, can not, I can't make it. More than once, Mike remembers his dad missing dinner to stay late at work, a good kind of problem to have when you're running your own business. Mike got his first experience using his dad's tools fixing up his dirt bike, which he kept crashing. He eventually went to school for it. He graduated from an auto mechanics apprenticeship program at a college in London, Ontario. But at the time, working in the family business was the last thing he wanted to do. I'm going to say when I was 23, I decided that uh, I needed needed to be out on my own, away from the shop and the family and get out on my own. So Mike went back to London and for the next 20 years he worked at auto shops all around that city. He thought he would settle there for good. Meanwhile, back at the family garage, Doug was coming to a realization of his own. He'd kept the garage going through a recession, the decline of the tobacco industry, and through customers leaving the area. He never missed a day of work if he could help it. And through all of it, he'd held on to his business. But now, technology was changing. So were cars, and Doug, after decades as a mechanic, wasn't sure he could keep up, if he wanted to keep up. Well, vehicles changed back in my day, and uh, it got more complicated, and I didn't enjoy working on them at all, so kind of made up my mind that I didn't want no more of that. I was over at the grads there when I opened the hood of a car, and where's the engine? It's all covered in, and... Oh, it's enough of this for me. That was that. That was that, yep. Fortunately for Doug, Mike had started questioning his decision to live in London. I guess my country heritage started tugging at me after a while. At what point did you understand Swin Service would be your business to take over? I was far more mature at that point, and... Um, Dad approached me in his roundabout way. We were out in front of the house, and we were just, just he and I. I can't remember the exact occasion. might have been Christmas. But Dad approached me, and he said, Look, um, you have an opportunity here, and if you want it, it's there. What was going through your mind at the time? A certain fear of responsibility. But at that point, I was pretty confident that I could do it. 
I was surprised to hear that a little bit because I didn't think he'd ever let go. So on May 6, 1999, a date etched in his memory, Mike walked back through the doors so familiar to him as a child. First off was nervous. The shop was full of cars, trucks, and I kind of got thrown into the mix. Dad said, okay, well, this needs to be fixed, and as any shop owner would do, and uh, let's get at it. I felt pressure to perform immediately, and uh, <laughs> I learned a lot that first day back because country garages and city garages are far different. Um, when you're in the city, you're working on newer vehicles, and um, the clientele are quite different too. It's um, people are a little more patient in the country, less patient in the cities. Mike and Doug worked alongside each other for a year. During that year transition, you know, when you handed over the reins, what was going through your mind? Well, whether we could uh, maintain it, carry on. I worried about Mike, wondering whether, you know, but it worked out okay. Even though you maybe thought it was time and technology had changed, was there, was it hard letting go? Well, yeah, at first, when you're all your life, you figure you've been over there. Dad and I, we still, we're both stubborn and uh, we had our, uh, our moments. Over the years, the social dynamics of the garage haven't changed all that much, even after Mike took over. Out in the country, customers are faithful, with some going as far as to tip the owner with fresh veggies or even homemade treats. Uh, yes, I did have a lady uh, deliver me a pie fresh out of the oven. It was still hot, so that's a nice little touch. We seem to get out here in the country quite often. And that's just a thanks for, for the, the yeah. work you do. Well, we got her a trouble, a trouble car fix, so she's happy. Yesterday, though, you got something else. Uh, well, a cake, actually, yeah. Which is, that's, I'm having quite a run lately, yes. I'd say 90% of my customers are, are, have been are coming in for quite some time. Hey, Eric, how you doing? Um, one sec, okay. Look at it tomorrow if you want it. Okay. Okay, very good. Okay, Eric, see ya. A lot of those customers stop in to see Mike, then head next door to Doug's shop. It's a bit of a local hangout. They have beers, talk about their day, play cards. They sometimes watch as Doug tinkers around. It's become family a little bit, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah you know. You know, gotten to know all the people. Especially when you lived here pretty well all your life. Yeah, I met a lot of good people, a lot of good customers. A lot of farmers, of course, got to know them personally. And Do people bring you a lot of baked goods? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Doug hopes to continue opening up the shop every day, welcoming people to drop by. But whether Swin Service can remain a community hub is starting to look uncertain. This story seems like it should be over. Times change, a father and son find a way to work together. The family business changes hands, but it's not that simple. 
In recent years, the farmland around Tilsonburg has changed drastically. The demand for tobacco has waned, so a lot of farmers have stopped growing it. The countryside has grown quiet, with young people leaving for other opportunities. And advancements in vehicle technology are threatening the future of the business. As I sit down to talk about this with Mike, it's clear it's been on his mind for some time. How much busier was it a couple decades ago when you came back compared with what it is now? Far more busy because cars and trucks broke down far more often 20 years ago than they, than they do now. Those changes Doug was struggling with before he retired, they're only increasing to the point that Mike is starting to question the future of the garage. To really nail that down, I would say in the last five years, a lot has changed. What has changed? Technology. The biggest thing that's changing right now are the ADAS systems, which is Advanced Driver Assistance Systems, um, automatic parking, um, adaptive cruise control. Um, it's just, it's, it's amazing what they're doing with these systems. And like self-driving technology is here. Um, it's, it's, it's here to, and it's going to stay here. Um, but it also, um, once a car becomes, oh, it's hard to put a date on it exactly, but once a car is seven or eight years old and it has starts to need major repairs, it's going to end up in the scrapyard. It's not going to be feasible. It's electric cars too, and more generally, how vehicles are more computerized than ever. And because different cars require different tech to fix, it quickly becomes expensive for independent garages. Cars end up going back to the dealer instead. The last three or four years, there's been more technologically advanced systems put in place than ever before. Hard to keep up then. Mm -hmm. Yes. There's another problem Mike is running into. He's now around the same age his father was when he retired. But Mike doesn't have anyone lined up to take his place. Swin Service is a family business. Your father handed it down to you. Have you had you hoped to do the same at all? Well, I have no children of my own, so that obviously wasn't going to happen. But I, I was hoping for some type of secession he says there's a shortage of people getting into the trades, which means it's tough for him to find a successor. It's hard work, too. It's physically hard labor, and um, which I can understand. But uh, it's people aren't getting into it. Like I say, I see ads in paper, local papers and online all the time, and they're just people are just desperate, and they're not they're not coming. I want somebody that can do the work. I, I don't have time to train. I'm, not, I'm really, literally, not sure. What's next? Is there a timeline that you've given yourself in terms of figuring out what's next? No. No, that's a, a hard no. It, it is going to come to an end, I think, with these smaller garages. I hope not, but, but it's getting harder and harder every year to maintain it. Especially since you said when you retired, it was already getting difficult. Well, yeah, it was starting to, it was changing then. Yeah, it was changing a lot, changing quick then. And even now, then it would be probably oh, even worse. Worse now, worse now. 
what's it like facing that reality, that potential reality, knowing this is a garage you built from the ground up? It's uh, it's the way things are. I don't want to condemn the the, uh, rural garages, but it's getting hard for them. I don't know what's going to happen in the future. Maybe it'll come around. Hopefully it does, but from my aspect, it don't, it don't look that good down the road. That doc was produced by Lisa Shing. It was edited by Allison Cook. You can see photos of Doug, Mike, and Swin's service on our website, cbc.ca slash docproject. That's all for us this week. Before you go, if you enjoyed today's episode, please take a minute to rate and review us. Better still, share us with a friend. I know that this episode is going to my father, who is an armchair mechanic. Believe it or not, yes, you can fit an armchair under a car. The Doc Project is produced by Allison Cook, Kent Hoffman, and me. Althea Manassen is our digital producer, with backup this week from Tahiat Mahboub. Special thanks to Joan Melanson and the CBC Doc Mentorship Program. Our senior producer is Julia Poggle. I'm AC Rowe. Thanks for listening. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.